The Word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the Word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our Saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's Word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Last week, William was talking to us from chapter 4. So this week, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 5. So let's get straight into it by reading the first few verses. So Acts chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation, where it says this. But there was a certain man named Ananias, who with his wife, Sapphira, sold some property. He bought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to, was yours to sell or not sell, as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. That's made everybody go quiet, hasn't it? <laughs> you know, when you know that you've got to speak on certain passages, and you think, like, okay, Acts, we're just going to go through this. Acts chapter 4, lots of lively things happening there. Acts chapter 5. And we come to this story. So we're going to look at this this morning. But first of all, before I go any deeper, let's just reflect back a little bit on what we know about the operation and the discipleship, if you like, of the early church. Because I just want us to look at what was the early church like at this time. So the early church, the early church was preaching a way of salvation. Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 9, we hear of this. This is on the day of Pentecost. Peter replied to the people who were asking him, what should we do? Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. In this early church, and this is what Peter was preaching, in this early church they were preaching repentance. They were preaching to people, you need to repent of your sins, you need to be baptized so that you can come into the church, and you also will receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. That was the teaching that they were giving. That was the way of salvation that was being presented to everybody. Okay, So let's, the way of salvation, let's have a look at what the discipleship was like and the actions of the Christians in this early church. Discipleship, Acts 2.42, where we read this, And all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So we can see the discipleship process, if you like, the how do I grow in my faith process, was developed in this early church by this. 
The true disciples, they involve themselves in listening to the apostles' teaching. Okay, what is it we need to learn? Give us understanding from what you've learned from Jesus. So they're learning from the apostles. They're spending time with each other in fellowship. They're meeting together. They're sharing meals. They're having the Lord's Supper together. And they are praying together. This is the process that is going on in this early church. And finally, look at the action that was pouring out from this church. Acts chapter 4 Verses 32 to 37. It says, all the believers. Listen to that. Was that anybody being left out? No, it says, all the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, it says there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and bought the money to the apostles. So in this early church, not only were they preaching a way of salvation, repentance, get baptized, all of those things. They were acting out their discipleship. They were on it earnestly. In fact, it says they devoted themselves to. Now, if we just take that phrase, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. To devote yourself to something means you really get on with it. You give yourself to it. And that's what they were doing. The results of this and the move of God that there was in that early church was that everybody was of one heart and one mind. And so much so, they were looking around. Look, if anybody's got a need, we're going to meet that need from within us. There were no needy persons amongst them. This is a powerful church. And the reason I want to underline this church, because this is the church that we're talking about, it hasn't changed from chapter 4 as we go into chapter 5. This is the church that Ananias and Sapphira were part of. So let's look at Ananias and Sapphira now. Who were they? They were Christians, believers, who were part of the church that I'm just describing. So they, I believe they would have gone through a process of repentance. They would have been baptized. They would have been meeting together with the other Christians. They would have been part of this community. They're very much part of this community. Now, I know some commentators describe Ananias and Sapphira as believers, but not true believers. And of course, we all, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, having heard what happened, we want to, no, they, they can't have been one of us. There must have been something different about them. But I believe that they had come through this process of salvation. This wasn't just a sort of a, a wishy-washy environment that entered into this was full-on, Pentecost-powered church they'd come into, right? Because we want to make excuses. We must find an excuse because what will happen to this person? So we're looking for excuses. But I think we can look too deeply for excuses. They were part of this church. They were giving themselves to this church. They were listening to the teaching of what was going on. And you know what? It's obvious that the atmosphere of this fellowship, the atmosphere of the church, was affecting their lives. Why do I say that? Because look at them. They've obviously had discussions. Hey, we've got a property. We can see that there's needs in this place. We've got a property. Other people are selling properties and giving money. We've got a property. We can sell our property. Hang on, you don't just do that just as a whim. 
That, you know, you've got to have your heart engaged. You've got to be moved. You've got to be motivated. So I believe they were fully taken up with what was going on at the church at that time. And they too had decided amongst themselves, we're going to sell our property. And we're going to give the money. However, now let me just put this however in. There is one big difference between Ananias and Sapphira and the example of Barnabas that we've read about just a few moments ago. Acts chapter 5 verse 2 says that Ananias bought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount with his wife's consent he kept the rest. Barnabas gave freely. He gave all of his, but we read of Ananias, he bought part of the money. Ananias and Sapphira knowingly didn't give the whole proceeds of their property sale to the apostles. They certainly gave most of it, but not all of it. Because, having decided amongst themselves, I mean, you know, sometimes husbands can do things without their wife's consent. Surely not, but it could happen. But in this case, it was the two of them had decided this together. And Sapphira was involved in that, so with her full knowledge... Ananias decided to keep some of the money back. They knew exactly what they were doing. Now, we fully understand the property was theirs. It's not like, oh, you know, this is somebody else's property that we're selling on their behalf. No, no, no. This property belongs to us, and therefore it is ours to do with what we want to do with. But here's the thing. Ananias and Sapphira acted in a manner that gave a false impression of their generosity. They acted dishonestly, they acted deceitfully. Now, in saying that, and even when I was writing this down, it's like, oh, come on. You know, have a heart. You're being a bit harsh on them, aren't you? I mean, can we just stop for a second and, and move away from this, this, this deceitfulness? Can we not focus on that? Can we just focus on the fact of, look what they did. They were prepared to sell one of their assets they were prepared to bring, all right, nearly all of it, they were prepared to bring all of that money for the sake of helping out somebody else. Get a grip. Will you at least look at what's good? And don't you find your heart saying, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd rather rest on that side. But we need to look into this. And we need to look at this. We need to look at the fact that God is a holy God and he is a just God. So just stop for one moment. Let's look at the holiness of God. What does it mean that God is holy? It means this. God is holy. It means in him there is no sin. Not a hint. Not a little. Not just one small bit. In him there is no sin. No sin. And this is why Paul can even describe the fact of God's dwelling as being a place of un approachable light. So I'm just trying to get to you that picture of unapproachable light. Can you see there is no darkness in that? And that's what God is like. God is holy. There is no sin. He never thinks a wrong thought. He never does a wrong action. We may not like some of the things that we feel that God is doing, but he never does a wrong action. He never has a wrong thought. What is God like? Well, look, John in his letter writes this. 1 John 1 verse 5. He says, this is the message we heard from Jesus and we now declare to you, listen, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. 
And it's such a simple picture for us to get hold of. Okay, I can understand that. Light and dark, we understand. We know when it's night, you can't see. We know when there's light, you can see. Hey, in this picture of God, there's not a trace of sin in him. God is light. And in him, there's no darkness at all. So with using very few words, that does give quite an open understanding of what God is like. What are we like? 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 and 6. We're sinners, unfortunately, and it says this, everyone who sins, everyone who sins is breaking God's law. For all sin is contrary to the law of God. And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, and there is no sin in him. Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin, but anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. What are we like? We are sinners. We keep doing the things that we don't like. We're aware of that. And it's not like we're we're keeping a checklist all the time. In fact, we don't want to keep a checklist. It's just that we're aware sometimes more than others than we have erred. We have fallen aside. We have walked into sin. That's what we are like. But what is it that we're called to be like? How are we supposed to be? And Peter writes this in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. But now you, you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. And remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge Or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. So what is God like? God is holy. There's no sin in him. What are we like? Regretfully, we do sin and we keep doing things that we shouldn't do and we're aware of that. What should we be like? We have been called to be like God. We've been called to walk with him. We've been called to be like him in every way. We have been called to live holy lives even as God is holy and to live in a reverent fear. Now, we know that we sin, but it says here, but if you want to keep living in sin, then in a sense, it's like, do you really know him? Do you really know him? If that's the way you want to keep living. We must never forget that God sees and knows Everything. Everything. It's not just those arguments you might have had with a person or that thing you did which you didn't want anybody else to see but, and you thought nobody else did see because you were alone. This is an activity that's taken place by yourself, hidden away, in a room, in the dark. Surely nobody else can see that. God sees everything. God knows everything. There is no hiding place from him. Now, he is able to give a correct judgment, therefore, on every situation, because not only does he see and not only does he know, he also knows the motive behind every action. He knows what's going on. He knows what's going on. It says of him in the Bible in Genesis, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? In other words, he sees everything, he knows everything, and you know what? He knows how to judge it absolutely fairly. It's not like, no, 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 I I can hear your debates. I can hear, no, no, this is the truth of why you did what you did. This is what you were hiding from. This is what you were scared of. This is why you did that. 
It said of God, righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. In other words, that which upholds what he sits on is righteousness and justice. And if that gets shaken or torn apart, then his throne would fall. But his throne doesn't fall because he is holy, he is pure, he is righteous, and he is just. Okay, that's just an aside to give us a picture of what God is like. Let's come back to Ananias and his money. Okay, here we are. Ananias is coming into this room. Peter is in the room. And just this morning, we're going to be in the room as well. Okay, so I want you to imagine this scene. So you've got one of the other members of the church. One of the other believers has just come in. And he's come in with an excited face. He's come in and he's come up to Peter. And he's saying to Peter, Peter, we've sold some property. Here's the money. And Peter says, thank you so much, Ananias. Oh, no, he doesn't on this occasion, does he? Ananias has come in. Ananias has presented the money to Peter. But Peter isn't saying thank you. Peter says this, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you have kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not to sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. My goodness. If we were in that room, I literally think we were gone. <gasps> there would have been an intake of breath. There would have been a shock about us. You're joking. What, Peter, what, what are you saying? But you see, Peter had got the inside track, as it were, from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had revealed to him the truth of what was actually going on in Ananias' life. And therefore, Peter is taking that position and rightly confronting him with actually what is going on in his life. And Peter tells it like it is. Ananias, why did you let Satan fill your heart? Now, you know, if that was me, it's like, you know, let's not, can we just not use such strong language? Can we just like, you know, like, why did you do a, a naughty thing? It's, no, no, he gets to the point. Why did you let Satan... So fill your heart. <gasps> How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us. But in effect, he is lying to them. He's coming with a, a situation of distrust to them. He's coming deceitfully to them. Look, this is the money. And he's coming with the idea of this is everything. He's coming with that idea. So he is lying to Peter in one sense. But Peter is taking it straight as all sin does. All sin is an affront not only to the people around us, but first and foremost, sin is an affront to God. If you read the story of Joseph, there's that situation where Joseph, where Potiphar's wife keeps enticing him. You know, will you have sex with me? She's saying, I want you to come and sleep with me. He says, how could I do such a thing and sin against your husband, against you? No, 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 no. He says, and sin against God. Joseph, as a young man, knew fully what it was. Every sin that we commit is first and foremost an offense to God. Now, because God is unseen, there's a sense in which in our lives, we also don't see that. And so there can be a dismission. We dismiss that fact. But the truth is, and the situation like we have right here, how could you, you weren't lying to us. You're lying to God. 
That's who you're lying to. It's almost interesting, isn't it? This New Testament story has a very Old Testament feel about it. And that's, in one sense, what I like about it, because so often you're looking at things in the Old Testament, people say, well, that's Old Testament. In other words, like, we can forget that because that's pre the cross. So let's just forget those things. But now we're in the New Testament. We're after the cross. We're in this new era, era of the Holy Spirit. And suddenly we're faced with a situation like this. Perhaps one of the key takeaways we need to just underline today is that I, the Lord, do not change. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we can see that is true in the fact that God does not change. So it seems to be rather more Old Testament than New Testament, but we are in the New Testament. All right, let's ask a question. Why is God acting like this now? I've noted before, or we've commented on how significant this time is. This is a new era. When the Holy Spirit came, Jesus has gone to heaven. He's gone there to say, look, it's good for me that I go away. Because when I go, my Father is going to give you another gift, the Holy Spirit. And when he comes on you, you will receive power when this Holy Spirit comes on you. And the day of Pentecost came, and that moment of tremendous change, Jesus has gone back to heaven, but now the power and his presence have come to every believer. In fact, the Holy Spirit has come to live inside every believer. It's like Jesus is in you if you are a believer in him. He's living in you. It's not just like, wouldn't it be nice one day to meet Jesus? He's inside you. He's here to help you. He's here to encourage you. This is the era that we are living in now as we preach this. This is the time that we're talking about here. So why did God come into this situation? I think he came to show that the reality of the Christian life was serious. This wasn't just a game that they'd come into. This was a new era, but also it was a new era of the reality of what Christianity was really meant to be. And it was underlining to everybody, in case they didn't know, the seriousness of sin. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Sin is something for us to keep away from as much as we can. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is writing to the Corinthians there. And he is using this phrase, he's, he's writing about the, the history of Israel. He's talking about the time when the Israelites were way back in the wilderness and the things that they were learning, the, the difficulties they went through, some of the challenges they were faced. And he's saying, well, well, why did we go through those things? And Paul writes to them and says, you were going through these things because they are teaching you. In other words, we look at those things because they're examples to us so that we can look at how we live now. That's what Paul was writing to the Corinthians, reflecting back to the stories of the Old Testament. And when I look at this, why has this been written? It's been written for us to reflect on right now so that we can learn from the history of these early Christians. There's something about what they were going through that we need to embrace this. We need to learn from this. We need to understand exactly what is happening. We can consider this story as, being, as having been written for our instruction. And so we need to take notice of what it said to me. Let's just ask ourselves a question. Have we forgotten the seriousness of what it means to be a Christian? Have we forgotten that we're supposed to be walking the narrow way? 
Have we forgotten the fact that God has said you must be holy because I am holy? In fact, have we even really even taken that statement with any seriousness? Oh, it's just one of those things. Oh, yeah, I, I, can, I can remember that scripture. Well, it's great to remember scriptures, but they're not just there to be remembered. They're there to be lived by. And this is a challenge for every one of us. It's not like saying, like, oh, you know, I've got this right. No, that's walking in pride. It's a case for all of us to humble ourselves and to say, my goodness. It's not just about coming to church on a Sunday. It's not just about singing the songs. It's that there's power in the name of Jesus. And he came to set captives free. He came to bring life and healing. And he is still about that today. He's in the business of rescuing souls out of darkness and bringing them in. And you know what? He wants a people who are called by his name, who will live out his values so that people can look at people as they live and say, hey, what is it about them? We're supposed to be living examples of his kingdom. That's what we're supposed to be. As we live here on earth, this is not just about, I have a ticket to heaven because I said, Jesus, I trust you. Forgive my sins. It's not about a ticket to heaven. It's the fact that he wants us to live for him while we're here on earth to see his kingdom come. Remember the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. It's found in Matthew 6, or one of the times it's found is in Matthew 6, verses 9 to 10. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Then he goes on to say, your kingdom come, your will be done. The cry for every Christian and what Jesus taught us to pray was, we're supposed to be living according to your will, according to your ways, so that people can see in our lives the life of heaven. That they can see there is a difference. There's a way for us to walk. We're supposed to be living examples, walking on that narrow way, embracing a life of being holy as he is holy, so that people can see for themselves a testimony of what God is like. Asking Jesus into our lives is the very start of our journey of faith. And of course, he forgives our sins, but you know what? We've been called to be his disciples. And as disciples of his, then we've been clearly called to lay down our lives, to surrender our lives, to follow him and to obey him. Jesus said to his disciples, John 14, 15, If you love me, if you love me, you will obey my commands. It's an annoying scripture. Because it puts things in a black and white situation. If you love me, then you're going to obey. And he goes, what if we don't love you? Well, that's going to be shown as well. But it will be reflected if you love me. You will obey what I command. And we are familiar with what Jesus taught about being disciples. Let me just run through to the scriptures if we're not familiar. Luke 9 verses 23 and 24. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And again in Luke 14, 26 and 27, if you want to be my disciple, you must by comparison hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise you cannot be 
my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. And Paul went on to teach this, 2 Corinthians 5 verses 14 and 15, where he says, since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised from them. Let's just think for a moment. Is, is this how Ananias was seeking to live his life? Or had he lost sight of some of these things? Peter confronted Ananias with truth. The outward signs were really good. Here is some money. We've raised some money. We want to help people out. There's people in need in our fellowship. And I want to be part of the answer to that. Here is some money to do that. Look at us, he's saying. We have the same heart, the same passion as this man Barnabas. We're encouragers too. Yeah. But the secret things of his heart were now laid bare. And there were secret things there. You were acting deceptively. You were lying. You kept back some of the money for yourself. And the consequence of this. We've read the consequence. But the consequence in this case was immediate judgment of that sin by God. Ananias, you weren't lying to us but to God. And in verse 5 and 6 of chapter 5, as soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Some young men get up, wrap him in a sheet, take him out and bury him. Of course, this passage puts chills down our spines. That's what we're looking at it for. God sees and knows everything. Every attitude, every motive. He sees it all and he judges everything for what they really are. He judges us for the things that we do, the actions. And in coming to Peter, Ananias could have been honest, okay? He could have been honest and said, Peter, it's been such a privilege for us to have this property. We've sold it. And you know what? Here is X amount of money. It's not all the money that we got from it. We did keep some back, but we want to give this gift. That is honesty. That is presenting the true picture. But you know what happens with us as human beings? We often want to make ourselves look better, especially in front of others, than we really are. Or we want to equate ourselves with others. Look how good they are. Hey, I'm also that good. I'm also on that level. I'm also like that. I want to be judged in the same way. You're, you're calling them great. Hey, what about me? I can do the same things. And therefore, we make compromises. You know what, Ananias, he preferred what would make him look good rather than being completely honest. Whereas God has said, I want you to be holy as I am holy. And holy means you are truthful, you have integrity, you remain steadfast, you're doing what God wants you to do. No questions. No questions. Peter says to him, how could you have done such a thing like this? That's not the way that God wants you to behave. That's really what he was saying. 
Well, let's ask ourselves, have we ever acted deceitfully? Don't answer. We've all acted deceitfully. I've acted deceitfully. I've been in situations where I'm thinking like, if I tell the truth right now, I'm going to look bad. So I'm just going to massage the truth. Just a little bit. Because I don't, I don't want to be faced with the reality of me owning up. So therefore, I'm just going to make it look a bit better. I've done that in situations. I'm sure that we have all done that in situations. Luke 15, verse 15 is an interesting scripture. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says to them, you like to appear righteous in public. He's talking not only to his disciples, but the Pharisees as well. You like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. In other words, there's a way of being that we want to, to be. We want to fit in. We want to make sure that we're loved. We want, I want you to love me. I don't want you to see anything horrible in my life. I just want you to look at all the good and I want you to think all the best things and I want you to think how great he is. But if I started showing you the hidden things at home that perhaps Helen sees or knows about or my family know about, suddenly the real you, you know, when you get cross because of, oh, blah, blah, those things, I don't want you to see them. Why? Because I don't want you to feel, oh my goodness, you're like that. See, we all shy away from the reality and therefore we put on a front or we hide behind things, or we say things. And you know what? Often the world can, yeah, that's okay. What the world honors, God finds detestable. God sees, God knows every situation, every intention, every attitude, the reason why we did it, the reason what we were getting away from. And he doesn't just brush over those things. He will judge those things. He knows them all. Ananias wasn't commanded to give up all the sale of his property. It's not a command of Jesus. It wasn't a command. He was just, God just wanted him to be honest, to be truthful, to have integrity. Acts 5 verse 7 to 11, it says, about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Now, in the remake, we want there to be a stunned silence and for Sephira to say, actually, and to tell the truth. In reality, she just said, yes, she replied. That was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the Spirit of God like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Verse 11 says this, great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard about what had happened. Great fear, great dread came upon the whole church. Why? Because the church suddenly realized, you don't mess with God. I think this happened, you know what, let's be real, this could happen to us today. 
God allowed it to happen there, A, so it's written down, B, so that the church could say, like, this is serious. If something like that was to happen today, don't you think it would affect the way all of us would live? I'm not going to be half-hearted about things. God's serious. He's real. He's scary. To have the fear of the Lord in our hearts is a good thing. When I say fear, it's not, "Ah, I don't like you. It's like, you are truly awesome. You are truly righteous. You really are to be obeyed. You are to be worshipped. You do deserve my time. You do deserve my attention. I do want relationship with you. I'm not going to shy away and think it doesn't matter about the things you ask me to do. I realize that you are a God who says and means what he says. All of the reality of that came into this church with a real heavy blow. Oh, yes. Great fear came upon everyone who heard about it. Everybody came to church on time the next day. Just in case. I mean, that's nothing, is it? Imagine going home and living your life with absolute integrity. Absolute integrity. There was a time at home, one evening, I looked at some pornography. Sure, oh, yes, it satisfies the mind. Yeah, it's, I mean, this is wrong. This is wrong. Okay, clear everything off the computer. Okay, I'm going to bed. I walked into the, the lounge. Helen was there. She was watching TV. God has a strange way of moving. Why did Helen at that moment turn around to me and says, what have you been doing? Have you been looking at anything you shouldn't look at? No, 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 no. Just like Ananias, but a different situation. No, 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 no. I went to bed. I did try to go to sleep. I did go to sleep. When I woke up in the morning, I felt as guilty as sin. And I had to confess to Helen. She was not pleased. I did get it in the ear and... Praise God, that's the last time that's ever happened. But the reason I tell you that is because the reality of our lives is that we're sinners. And we like to walk in sin. The reality of our Father in heaven is that he loves us enough to keep us and to keep drawing us back to himself so that we might find fellowship with him. And I don't know what your situation is here this morning. I'm praying that God doesn't judge us like he judged Ananias and Sapphira. But I'm just saying this to you. Look, we've got to stop pretending. We've got to live in the reality of who God is. He knows how to expose. On the evening that I've just talked about, I was utterly ashamed and exposed. I can't get away from it. But God put his finger just as he can do his finger on anybody's life. Some days he's so gracious that he doesn't say anything. And because he hasn't said anything, we think, go away with that. But he knows everything. He knows every secret thing.
I don't know the secrets of your heart. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know how you're breaking God's commands. I know that he's told us to go on his behalf and to reach the lost. And our answer often is, no, I don't want to. I'm aware of that. I am aware of that in my own life. If you want me to take an example that's away from you know, any, other, any of the other sins, what about our prayerlessness? Do we really give him the honor that he deserves? Do we really have relationship with him because he is worthy of our lives and he wants relationship with us? Do you realize that he is the one who acted first to draw us to himself? It's even while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. He is desperate, desperate for relationship with every one of us. And he's calling us. He wants to meet with us. He wants to have fellowship with us. He wants intimacy with us. He wants to break us out of a place where we're so dominated by the sinful behavior of our lives, where we're living for him, that his kingdom may shine from us so that others may see and may be drawn towards him. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.